you can go ahead and grab a seat. As you do, I would encourage you to take out a copy of Scripture. If you brought a Bible with you, you can get that out. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, you can use one of ours. You'll find them underneath one of the seats in front of you. Um, we're going to look at a lot of verses this morning. We're in the book of Daniel, so you can make your way to the book of Daniel. Uh, but we're going to look at quite a few verses this morning. And so um, one of the things that helps to kind of keep up with where we're at is by being in the same translation. So we're using the uh, ESV, uh, the English Standard Version. And and um, you'll find it, uh, the same, same words, um, you know, there uh, that I'll be reading, and that, that always helps uh, quite a bit. Uh, but we are um, almost actually through our series in the book of Daniel, and uh, we started, and this is, uh, I think, week number eight, and um, if you've been with us, you've uh, kind of followed along and seen uh, Daniel and his companions um, as they have um, experienced just an, an incredible um, uh, kind of crazy uh, life, uh, very far from home. Uh, just to kind of catch us up, or those of you that um, uh, maybe are uh, new and kind of just jumping in, uh, Daniel lived about 2,500 years ago. And in 605 BC, uh, Jerusalem uh, fell to the Babylonian Empire, and Daniel, along with his friends and many uh, thousands of others, were taken off to uh, Babylon. And there they were given new names, they were given a new diet, they were taught a new language, and expected to worship the gods of Babylon. And we see Daniel, uh, along with um, his, uh, his friends, which we come to know as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and um, they are um, uh, confronted with this option of this choice of do we follow our God still here in this new land, um, some seven, 800 miles from home, or uh, do we remain faithful and continue to follow the laws of our Lord? And we see they make a decision as young teenagers. And so now we follow Daniel uh, through almost seven decades of exile. And um, the first six chapters are narrative, and then we moved a couple weeks, or last week, into the sort of prophecy section. And uh, for some of you, you've never studied prophecy in Scripture before. You've maybe skipped over those chapters or kind of been weirded out by those chapters, and so you're kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, and so you just kind of turn the page, and we said that is not necessarily the best response because a quarter of our Bible is prophecy. So we want to hear from that. We want to study it. We want to um, try and do our best to understand it. God gave it to us for a reason. And so that is why we are walking through the entire book of Daniel. Um, we are picking up the pace just a little bit. So last week, there are kind of four visions at the end of Daniel, okay? And so chapter 7 contains one, chapter 8 contains another one. We looked at both of those together because they kind of overlap and have some similarities. There's some differences, but some things that are similar. Chapter 9 has another vision, another prophecy, and then chapter 10 through 12 is one big, long uh, prophecy. So we're actually going to wrap up our series next week with chapters 10 through 12. We're going to kind of look at all of it together, and uh, I'll just tell you, of, like right now, we're not going to get into all of the details of chapters 10 through 12. We're going to look at themes, okay? That's it's a perfectly faithful way of teaching through it, and I think it's actually the most helpful for us, right? If you're, um, you go to take your car to your mechanic, and you're like, hey, what's wrong? And uh, he starts to kind of go into all the issues of all the things, the nuances of like how the all parts and different things kind of connected. Sometimes you just need to know, no, like how much is it going to cost? And, you know, when is it, when am I going to get it back, right? Like, so we're, we want to kind of like, we want to look at some things that are going to be most helpful to us. Again, not that it's not worth studying in depth, but just for our purposes here on a Sunday morning in our service. Services. That's what we're looking at. And then this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 9. And chapter 9 is sort of unique because we're in this prophecy section, but the bulk of chapter 9 is actually not a vision, but it's actually a prayer that Daniel prayed. And this is a theme that we've seen come up. It's kind of one of the sub-themes of Daniel is prayer, prayer of God's people. 
And we've seen that Daniel is a man of prayer. From early on, when he was a teenager and confronted with these difficulties, he prayed. When they uh, were seeking wisdom on how to interpret this vision for the king, him and his friends gathered and they prayed, right? Later, much later in his life, Daniel is, there's this decree that goes out that says you can't pray to any God but to the king. And Daniel continues to pray to his God and faces that lion's den. And uh, we see his boldness and his courage, but his faithfulness to prayer three times a day. For the entire time that he's been here, he is praying. And so this morning, what we're going to do is not just get to see that he prays, but we're actually going to get to see the content of the prayer that he prays. And so the theme, the topic that we're talking about this morning is rightfully prayer. We're going to see what does it mean to, to pray like Daniel. I'm calling the sermon this morning, Praying in the Dark. We've been talking about what it means to shine in the dark. Uh, we see God's light shining in the darkness of Babylon that we, um, even today in this culture, there's kind of the spirit of Babylon, this darkness that per persists today, but yet God is still shining in it, and he, through, that, through his people, continues to shine in the midst of darkness. Well, sometimes we find ourselves in a place that we can call, like, kind of darkness, and that's despair, sorrow, confusion, uncertainty, right? So Daniel is in that place today. He is distraught but yet he finds hope in God's word. And so he calls out to the Lord in this place of kind of darkness, if you will. And so we're gonna see, what does it look like to pray in the dark? So not so much like turn off the lights and then <laughs> close your eyes and pray in the dark, but like what do we do when we find ourselves in a place that we would call kind of spiritually or emotionally or you know, um, uh, that, this kind of feeling of darkness? And, and um, I'm just gonna kind of frame it this way. Some of you like to like, what's the handle or kind of what are the things that we're looking at this morning? I would call these prayer attitudes that we're gonna see modeled by Daniel. There's five prayer attitudes in his prayer that we see demonstrated here. But I wanna get into it. Before we do, let me just, let's do this. Let's pray. Let's ask God to teach us now as we study prayer together. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it contains um, and uh, Lord, the, uh, the truth that it has for our life. And God, we, we know that you've given us these words uh, that we might learn about you, Lord, that we might see where you are directing and leading us. Um, even today, all these years later, God, there's still uh, so much here for us. And so I pray that you would direct and lead our time as we study it together. God, would we be uh, faithful to what you've written here? And I pray that you would lead us uh, as we do that. And we ask this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're in chapter nine. Let's look at this prayer together. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. I wanna kind of jump around a little bit. I tried to read the whole prayer in the uh, first service, and that's why you saw a lot of your first service friends kind of leaving. It kind of just went a little bit long. There's a lot of words here, okay? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump around a little bit and do a little bit of summary. But let's look at verse one of chapter nine. In the first year of Darius, the son of, that's an A name that I cannot pronounce. Why don't you try? Why don't we help, help me out today, okay? Sometimes you guys laugh at me stumbling over these words. So everyone do their best shot at that name. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, that sounds great. That's perfect. We'll go with that. By descent of the Mede, I don't know all these pronunciations, okay? You just have to know this. Like, I, I, um, I do the same thing that, that you, I would recommend you do. I open up my, like, Bible app, and I let that, the guy with the booming, you know, deep voice read it to me, and then that's what I kind of go with. So, um, he, uh, so let's start over. In the first year of Darius, by the son of an A name, uh, my descent of a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book of the number of years that that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, Daniel's studying, and he sees the words of Jeremiah, 
and he perceives that the time of exile is decreed or sort of prophesied that it would be 70 years. So out of this discovery comes this prayer. Verse three, then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I pray to the Lord, my God, and made confession. Here's his prayer. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Let's jump down to verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, Yet we have not entreated the favor of our Lord, our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. And the Lord, our God, is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly. Okay. Let's just kind of make sure we're understanding. So Daniel is acknowledging the sin on the part of the people. And you notice the language he's using. It's not so much you or they or he, she. It's I and we and us. He's owning it too. He's part of this, right? We have sinned. We have not kept your laws. We have turned from, our, um, uh, from your ways. And we, have, uh, we need to turn from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Like he's, he's kind of owning it for the people. He's acknowledging that they are in exile because of the choices that they made as a people. Verse 16, O Lord, according to your righteousness, all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins, and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, your people have become a byword among all those who are around us. Now, therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant, to his pleas for mercy. For your own sake, Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. He's like, God, your temple is empty. It's desolate. Does this not bother you? Like, do you not want to do it for your own name? He's like, would you shine upon us so that the people would not perceive that you are um, anything other than who you are? that you are good, that you're gracious, that you're powerful, that you can restore your people. So verse 18, he continues, Oh my God, incline your ear, open your eyes, and see your desolations, that the city is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. That's a great line to underline. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Do not for your own sake, delay not rather, for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. We're gonna see that the answer comes through uh, an angel, Gabriel, verse 20. Let's continue on. When I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God uh, for the holy hill of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision the first time, so we've met Gabriel. We saw him you know, a little chapter ago. Uh, he came to me in swift flight, at the time of the evening sacrifice, who there's a lot of things there. We're going to get into that. And he uh, made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for a word of mercy, or, or for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And what follows is this vision of prophecy that he gives. Okay. 
So what we wanna do is we're gonna see some attitudes that are portrayed in this prayer that Daniel prays to his God on behalf of his people. And uh, here's the first one that we see. Uh, We see that Daniel remembers who God is. As we pray, we need to do so remembering who he is, remembering who God is. Again, uh, looking back, kind of the, the content of this here, it's the first year of Darius, so the time stamp, this is often, you, you should see this pattern uh, many times when a new section begins in Daniel, there's this time stamp. So the first year of Darius, um, this is after the Persians overthrew the Babylonians, this would have been the year 539 B.C., Okay, Um, so Darius is the regional king over the Chaldeans. Cyrus is the king over the entire empire. And um, it's getting close to 70 years. Uh, Daniel, again, I said was taken away in 605. So if you do some math, we're at like 65, 66 years um, that he's been uh, in Babylon. And so notice what he's doing. It says in the first year, he perceived... Um, in the uh, words of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, how many years would pass? 70 years. So he's like, God, it's almost time. 70 years is coming up, right? Like we're getting close. And so this is where this prayer is. And so he's, he's perceiving that God is, um, is uh, working here, uh, but he says, great and awesome God is how he begins his prayer. Oh Lord, the great and awesome God. Right before that, he uses the word, he says, I pray to the Lord, my God, and made confession. Notice in your Bible, it's uh, all caps, Lord. Um, we've said it before, but, but um, just to remind us that when we see that in English, it's the way of saying that that's the covenant name of God that's being used there in the original language, Yahweh. It's the personal name. It's the name by which the people knew God as this covenant relational God. And so you see, Daniel begins his prayer by adoring and kind of confessing who God is. Some of you have heard the prayer acronym ACTS, and it kind of helps us to think about you know, some structure to our prayers. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. A is adoration. That's where Daniel is beginning here. He's saying, God, you are great. You are mighty. You are awesome. You are able to do things. You are sovereign in your control. Not only that, not only are you this God who's, who's there But you're not some God who's on the distant part of the universe or sort of removed from me, but you are a personal God. You're a God who's made covenant with me and with your people. And I know you by name. Your name is Yahweh, right? This is the way that Daniel begins his prayer. And what we see is he continues to pray that there is, uh, it reveals the theology that Daniel holds to. A theology is just the study of, or even more than that, the belief that we hold of, of God, And Daniel's theology reveals this, that God is a covenant God that loves and forgives his people when they respond with humility, right? This is the basis for his prayer. He believes that God is a covenant God that loves and forgives his people when they respond with humility. He's acting out of love there. And so listen, church, this is good for us because we need to understand and remember who it is when we pray Prayer is just talking to God. When we pray, we need to remember who it is that we are praying to. We are praying to the God that holds the universe in his hands, right? He has power to do things that you and I cannot do. He has knowledge that you and I do not have. He sees the future. He holds the past. He, he sees it all, and he's working in all of it. And so let's just remember that we're not praying some kind of wimpy, weak, sort of, you know, kind of, you know, kind of hedging on our prayers, but we're praying to a God who has some real power, 
He is the great and awesome God. And he is a personal God. He knows us. He loves us. And he is for us. He is working on our behalf. And that's maybe the sub-point of this. We don't just need to remember who God is. We need to remember who we are in God, right? What does the angel Gabriel say when he comes? He says, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, I'm in verse 23, a word went out, I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved, right? He reminds Daniel that he is loved by God. And listen, you and I might be tempted to forget that sometimes as we pray. See, we might come sort of sheepishly before the Lord and notice what Daniel's doing. I mean, he's praying. He's saying, God, we have sinned. We have chosen wrongly. We have ignored your decrees. We have cast off your rules and your regulations. The decrees that you've given to us, we have sinned against you, God. But what does the angel Gabriel remind? You are greatly loved. How easy would it have been for Daniel to be like, man, I don't feel loved. Right? For, for nearly 70 years, he's been almost a 1,000 miles from home. At this point, he's an old man. He's approaching his 90s. And he has probably watched friends die. He has seen new generations be born in this foreign land. He's seen people sort of slip away. And so how easy would it have been to look at his circumstances and be like, I don't feel loved by God. Listen, church, we need to remember, some of you need to hear this this morning. The reason that we close every one of our services with the words, you are loved, is because this is an important truth that we know. It tells us who God is and who we are. Man, if I end my time as a pastor, at the end of my life, pastoring people, if I have helped people to understand who God is and who they are, that would be like a really great, like two boxes to check. That's what I'm going after. And so can we do this this morning? Can we understand who God is, great, awesome, mighty over all things, and who we are. We are sinners in need of a savior, but we are greatly loved by God. When God made creation, he said it is good. When he made man and woman in his image, he said they are very good. You are greatly loved by God because of who he is, because you are made in his image, and you are made with great care and compassion and he is working. And some of you, that's what you need to hear this morning, is you need to hear that you are greatly loved. This is the place that it begins. God is a God that loves his people. And so he's coming to him with that. Here's where he goes on next. Uh, let me give you the point. I'll show it to you. He repeats back the words that God has said. And so here's how we pray. We repay repeating words that he has said. You want to like spice up or sort of inform your prayer? Pray words from the word of God. That's what Daniel does. Notice, this is actually kind of a cool little point that he, uh, he gives us here. Um, he says, um, you know, he perceived according to the word of, Je- word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Man, this is one of the most direct kind of uh, quickest references that we have of being, um, you know, the writing uh, being recorded as the word of God. The pr- words of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is not like, hasn't written that long ago. And so Daniel is studying the words of the prophet. And what does he call them? The word of the Lord. He sees that these are scripture. This is, this is God's word. And so he's studying this. And what does he come across? He understands that, that it is 70 years that they are to be exiled. There's a couple places that he probably found this. Jeremiah 25, 11 through 13. I'll put it on the screen for you. It says this, the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve, shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. 
And after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the nation of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. So he found this in Jeremiah. He's like, this is the word of the Lord. God, you said that it would be 70 years. And so he's looking around. He sees that Persia has overthrown. It's been about 66 years. And he's like, I hope that you were just rounding up, God. Can it be this year, right? Like, that's close enough. Like, can we just call it good? Like, why don't you come now? And restore your people. Verse uh, 29, uh, verse 10, it says, For uh, thus the Lord says, Another place, uh, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. See, here's the thing is he understands that God is faithful even when his people are not. And he's confessing the sins of the people. He understands why they are in exile, right? He says, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke your name to our kings, our princesses, our fathers, to all the people of the land. He's like, not only have we disobeyed you, but we haven't responded or listened to the warnings that you gave us through your prophets. He's like, we have sinned. That is why we are in exile. It's a good reminder for us. We live in a broken world because we have sinned as well, right? Like the reason that we are facing the trouble, the trials, the different things that we face is because we live in a broken world. And rather than kind of pointing the finger and like, well, they did this or they're causing that or they're doing this, it's us. We sinned. I sinned. You sinned. We sinned. That's what's happening here. He's confessing this, but he doesn't just stop there. He perceives that God has said that he would bring the people back. He would fulfill his promise and bring them back to this place. And there needs to be in our lives, church, a close relationship between God's word and prayer. We need to pray the words of the Bible. Martin Luther said this. He says, the most powerful way to pray is by catching God in his words. All right? As a parent, have you ever done this? Or maybe if you, as you were a kid with your parents, did you ever do this? Your parents say something, and they don't mean it, right? They're just saying like, yeah, yeah, we'll do that sometime. Right? Hey, Dad, can we go there? Hey, Mom, can we have this? Yeah, sure, like, we'll, we'll talk about it. That doesn't mean anything. Kids, if you're here in the service, they, your parents are just trying to, like, delay, okay? They, they don't mean that. That's not happening. But what happens, right? They claim that. That's now a promise, and it's gonna happen. And they're waiting for it, and they'll bug you about it. And you're like, Dad, you said. You said, right? Man, I've said some things before. I've been like, hey, why don't we do this? And, like, just kind of, you know, just kind of throwing out an idea. It wasn't promising, but all of a sudden, it gets put into like law in our house, and now it's a promise. And now if dad doesn't deliver, man, he is disappointing us, right? So now I got to do it. I don't want to like have them like, you know, think that dad's like, you know, liar or not like just, so I'm, I'm trying to do this. See, God doesn't ever do this. The things that he says, he always intends to say, and the things that he says he will do, he will always do. How amazing is this? Do you know that there are over 3,000 promises in the scriptures, 3,000 times God said, I will do this. You can count on it. And so listen, God invites us. He says, catch me at my words. That's what, that's what Daniel's doing. He's taking the words of Jeremiah. He's like, God, you said it was 70 years. Let's go. Bring your people back. Restore your people to the land. Restore glory to your holy hill, the nation, to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple where your presence is. Would you do it? More than that, he's even praying 
Again, not because of their goodness. I told you you could underline verse 18. He says, we do not present our pleas because of your, um, uh, we present our pleas because of your righteousness, or not our righteousness rather, but because of your great mercy. He's like, I don't deserve to be asking you this, but because you are a merciful God, I'm coming and bringing you this prayer. If you need a resource to help you pray the Bible better, um, I've recommended this book before, but uh, I would just encourage you to check this book out. It's Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. I like to put resources before you that you can check out. This just has a really good, um, some really good tips, tools, tricks for like how to take the word of God and pray. One of the things that we actually do in our prayer nights is we will often take psalms and kind of, you know, we'll, we'll look at the phrase there and then we'll just sort of riff on it and, and just kind of like pray the thing that God has said there in his word and pray those words back to him. It's one of the best ways that you can pray. And so I would encourage you as you spend time in God's word to then respond in prayer, praying back these very things. But in order for us to pray the promises of God, we need to know the promises of God, right? We have to be in the word, we have to be studying this. We have to be looking for that. And then when you come across it, underline it, circle it, highlight, do something, and then pray it. Pray that God would do it. He responds to the prayers of his people. So we see that Daniel uh, repeats the words that God has said. Let's continue on. Uh, he prays knowing that God will hear. Verse 16, we read this, but he says, he says, let therefore God listen to the prayers of your people. Oh, Lord, incline your ear, verse 18. Incline your ear to hear. Verse 19, oh, Lord, hear. He's not trying to get God's attention. Like, hey, God, over here, listen to me. He's saying, God, listen, because I know you are. God, I know you're hearing me. I know you're listening. Will you respond to that? He's praying, knowing that God hears his prayers. Listen, church, you can know that when you pray, God hears and is responding to it. Did you catch what happened um, when he was praying? Verse 20, he says, while I was speaking and praying, what happens? A word went out and Gabriel was sent. Verse 21, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. I don't know about you, but I would love to just kind of like drill in on that for a little bit. And kind of, I have all these questions that the scripture is not trying to answer. But like, so Gabriel left where he was and came to where Daniel was, and he flew to get there, but it took some time, right? So it wasn't until evening prayer, so he's like making his way there. How did he fly? Was he like flapping his wings? Did he have like fairy dust? Like, what is this? Like, why is he actually, like, he's flying to him, and he comes, but, but the, okay, the point's not that. The point is this, that when the prayer went up, Gabriel's on the move. God's like, hey, go answer my servant Daniel. Take him this vision, and he says, oh, Daniel, I have come to give you insight, understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. I have come to tell you that you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. God always hears our prayers. And I think sometimes we, again, need to be told, reminded, encouraged with that. Like when you pray, you're not just kind of sending words out into the universe. I think sometimes that's what sort of gets like, kind of framed his prayer today, right? You'll see often on social media, this like, hey, this happened, like send good vibes, send prayers. Like, what is, that, what is that doing? Are we just kind of casting words out that are sort of floating around and hoping that like it like collides with, with, with karma or something and then kind of produces like what? See, that's not what prayer in scripture looks like. It's words 
coming from our mouth, being received at the, not physical ears, but that's how he kind of portrays himself, right? Being heard by the Lord God. They're being received and then responded to. They're not just floating in the universe. They don't like hit the ceiling and bounce back. Like God hears them. How incredible is that? When we pray, we know that God hears our prayers. And sometimes, because we forget or don't think that he hears our prayers, we might be tempted to stop praying when we don't hear a response right back. And that's what leads us to number four. We see that Daniel endures until he responds. Daniel didn't give up praying. Right? He's been in this land almost 70 years. He's getting up there in years. And what has he done faithfully for his life? We see that he made a habit of three times a day getting on his knees and praying. He didn't give up. And can you imagine, I, I, you know, was the temptation there at year 40, at year 50, right? Six decades of praying for the same thing that he's giving up. And yet here he is approaching year 70 and he receives an answer from the Lord regarding his prayer. And I know some of you have been praying for weeks Others of you have been praying for months. Some of you have been praying for years. Some in this room have been praying for decades. Can I just tell you and encourage you, don't give up yet. Keep praying. God is still on the throne and he still hears and he is still working. That's what we're reminded of here is that he's bringing this answer at the proper time in the proper way. Can I show you something from the next chapter? Can we kind of peek ahead? In chapter 10, he prays again, and this is kind of this crazy response here. Look at verse 2 of chapter 10. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. So three weeks, I ate no delicacies, no wheat, no meat or wine entered my mouth. I did not anoint myself at all for the full three weeks, okay? For three weeks, he's mourning and he's praying. And on the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river. I looked up and behold, a man clothed in linen. Okay, he sees another angel. Another angel visits him with this word. Okay, he has a response for him. Let's skip our, our eyes down to uh, verse 11. Um, this is the response. Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. There it is again, reminding him of his great love uh, that the Lord has for him. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I've been sent to you. So he stood up trembling. And then he said, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day, you set your heart to understand and have humbled yourself before the Lord. Your words have been heard. Okay, from the first day, you've been praying for three weeks, God heard you the very first day, but check this out. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, I've come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Okay, he's been fighting. There's been like a dog fight on his way there. He was flying there to like give him an answer. And he was withstood by this demon, the kingdom of Persia for 21 days. But Michael, who obviously spends a little more time in the gym, one of the chief priests came to help me. And I left there, left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision of the days is yet to come. Okay, the only reason I kind of flip over and show us that, we're gonna, we're gonna get more into that next week, but, but there's like some unseen realities that are happening here. So many times, right, I think we wonder, we start praying and like God sent <laughs> We don't see the name, but God sent this angel there on the very first day, and for three weeks, he was fighting. And so many times, we don't think anything about that. That's crazy. 
Like we, we see the here and now, we see what's in front of us, but what God is trying to tell us in his word is that there is a whole nother realm, a whole spiritual reality that is happening. And we don't often think about that, but there is a battle that was being fought to bring the answer that Daniel needed from the Lord. And it took him three weeks to fight. And part of me is like, man, why, <laughs> why doesn't God just kind of like do what he does and, and you know, just kind of make that happen? It's like, well, obviously it's the same. I mean, God's working all of this out. And he has these other created beings, angels, right? Demons are just fallen angels that have tried to oppose God and have walked away from that. And so we have these created beings that he's using there to do his will and they're being withheld for three weeks. Okay, you can flip back to chapter nine. I think the point is this, is that we need to make a point of not stopping when we don't get the answer that we uh, are looking for right away. Sometimes, God has a different timeline than we do. Or, better said, I think he usually has a different timeline than we do, right? We want it today, we want it yesterday, we want it like now. And he's, he, he may not have that same timeline, but his timeline is perfect. And so what we need to do is we need to continue to endure until he responds. And so if you've been praying about something for a while, I wanna continue to do this, I'll do this again, but can I just encourage you to continue praying for that? continue to recruit help, continue to ask people. There might be a war that is being waged in order to give you the answer that you're looking for. You don't know the parts and places and people and things that God is moving into place to give you that answer. And so can we do that together? Can we make it a habit? You know, one of the things that would be one of the best things that you can do in your life would be to make it a daily habit of spending time in prayer with the Lord. Some of you do this, and you guys are got, got this down, and this is, this is great. Um, but others of you, you, you maybe, you, you just don't have this down as a habit yet. As you came in today on a chair that you sat on or maybe near you, um, there's plenty around, so if, if you didn't get one, there's, there's, they're on the chairs. But we just made these simple cards. It says 21 days of prayer, and it's got 21 little boxes to check. Maybe what we can do is just kind of kickstart the habit of praying daily, Again, and so if you want to maybe write something down that you're going to pray for specifically on the back, that's great. Otherwise, you don't need something. Just, just pray. Just seek the Lord. Pray for your home. Pray for what, what, what burdens you. Pray for our community. Pray for our church. Pray for the things that are happening around us. Let's pray and seek the Lord And just for 21 days. What is that going to do? Well, first of all, it's not going to do anything bad. That's, that's going to be really, really good for you, but it's going to help establish a habit in your life. And then we're gonna to endure together and, and, and see what does he answer? I mean, he could answer this even in the next 21 days. We might see answered prayer as we seek him, praying back the promises, praying back the things that he has said in his word. Finally, we see the response. And I just kind of wanna put it under the category of this. The attitude that, that Daniel responds with is trusting what he says. He trusts what he says. So he gets this response back and there's a vision that is given. And if you notice, we've spent a lot more time on the prayer portion than on the uh, vision that is given. And the reason is because is I think there's a whole lot more applicable for our life in the first half of Dan or chapter nine than in these last um, six verses, I think it is, or four. Let's see, 24, 25, 26, 27, four verses. Four verses. Can I tell you the number of pages that I read this week, the number of things I've listened to this week to try and study this passage, this is one of the more confusing passages in our entire Bible. Okay, and I've allotted us four minutes to like look at it together. And here's the reason, it's fine. Because here, the, the reality is this, is that there is, it is a tricky passage. 
But I think God has some stuff for us, and we don't have to understand all the nuances of all these things. I think some of you came in today, and you are like, I want to know exactly what it is, what are the dates, what are the numbers, what are the times, right? I've had conversations with you. Some of you are so fired up about this passage. I can't wait till we get to the 70 weeks. We are going to unlock the apocalyptic calendar and understand all of this stuff now. And I just want to tell you, I studied it all week long, and I'm even more confused now than I was at the beginning about parts of it. Some of it I've got some great clarity on. But I'm in good company. In, in 400 AD, the church father, Jerome, what he did as he was trying to explain this passage, he just listed the nine conflicting opinions of the great teachers of the church and then left it to the reader's judgment as to whose explanation ought to be followed. Okay, so that was one option. I'm like, I could just like, give you all the options. Um, that was long before, I mean, this is 400 AD. So we've added to that like rationalism, higher criticism, millennialism, dis, uh, dispensationalism, all of these things added to these various pr- uh, opinions. I'm telling you, there's so much to be uh, confused by in this passage. Look at verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed, are decreed for your people, your holy city, to finish the transgression and to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. This is the goal of the 70 weeks, okay? These six things that will be accomplished. But here's what it looks like, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word, this is when it's gonna begin, to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks And then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat and in troubled time. Then after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end shall come with a flood. And to the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed and he shall make a strong covenant with many for a week and after and for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Okay, here's why this is so confusing. We have first off these groups of seven, which I think there's pretty much unanimous understanding that this doesn't actually mean weeks as in like 49, or sorry, um, 49 days. But weeks, there's no word day. There's not a modifier that's there. So it's kind of like heptad. It's just groups of seven. So there's 77s. So a lot of times what is understood is that this is 490 years, okay? 70 groups of of seven years. Um, But then you have the first group of seven, and then the second group of 62, and a third group that's just kind of that one week. So you have like 49 years, and then 483, well, if you combine it together, 483, which is the 69 years, and then you have the one at the end, which is divided in half. Why is it divided in half? You have the word going out. It doesn't say what the word is, but, but there's a couple places that it could be, but it's like, which decree? Because there's several decrees that were given for the restoration of Jerusalem or for the temple. Who's the anointed one? Are we talking calendar years or lunar years? Um, are we talking a consecutive seven weeks or 70 weeks, or is there a break in the sequence? Um, is it figurative or literal? What parts are figurative? What parts are literal? And then who is the he in the final week? It doesn't like relate back to anyone super specific. So it's like, well, who's that he? Because that changes all sorts of things depending on who you tie that he to. All this to say that I think we need to be careful about putting too much of our understanding of Daniel chapter nine into the dates or the times or the things that we would then draw out of this. And I know for some of you, you're like, come on, say what it is. And I'm like, I don't know if I can. I don't know if we're supposed to. 
Because here's what I sort of saw over and over again. I would read all of these different views and all of these different things. And what I'm seeing is, what I'm seeing is, is that not any one of them fits just right. There's some that are really, really close, okay? So like one of the, that the people love the most is like when the word went out of Cyrus and, and Ezra was sent forth, there's about 483 years, if you use lunar uh, years, uh, between that and then when Jesus was baptized, and so is that the anointed one kind of being cut off is when he began his ministry? That's kind of the, the best, but I'm telling you, it's not exact. It doesn't look like it doesn't, what's that first 49 years? Because that doesn't line up with anything. And so after a while, it kind of felt like this. Do you guys remember the toy that you had maybe when you were a kid, um, right? When you're trying to like fit, like I feel like we have this prophecy of 70 weeks and it has a certain shape to it. And what for generations, for like centuries, the commentators have tried to do is they've tried to find where in history does this thing fit super precisely and does it drop in? And what I'm trying to tell you is I don't think it drops in anywhere super great as far as we understand it now. Now, does God know? Does he have a meaning? Is there, is there a purpose for it? For sure it is. But has he intentionally maybe left some rough edges on it and left it a little bit bumpy so that it doesn't quite slide in? I think he has. I think there's some veiling going on so that we don't have an exact understanding or, or, or a thing in this. And so what some will say is that that, that happened all the, the first 69 weeks, the 483 years all happened before the time of Jesus and that that one week there's a gap in that time and then that's the tribulation. I think there's merit for that. I'm not trying to put that down or say that you can't believe that. I would even hold parts of that kind of loosely. But I'm telling you, ask me next week and I'll probably have a different answer. Okay, like I'm, I'm just saying, like as I've studied it, what I've found is this. So my point in bringing all this up is not to leave you with confusion, but actually to provide some clarity. What do we do when we come to the fuzzy parts of our Bible? I think this would qualify as a fuzzy part of our Bible. We don't have the explanation given here. We don't have the interpretation. And so what do we know for sure? Well, we know that there are six things that God's trying to accomplish you see him right there in verse 24. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal or otherwise known as approve both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. That sounds good, right? That sounds like something God is trying to do. He's trying to put an end to iniquity, to atone for righteousness, to set up his forever kingdom, like an eternal righteous kingdom. He's like, here's the plan for it. And so what we need to be careful is that we don't spend all of our time on these fuzzy passages and then in the process we forget the other passages that have such great clarity for us. So I think as I was like preparing this week, I'm like it would be so unhelpful for us to get so bogged down with this part when we have the whole rest of the chapter which is saying pray prayers to God and trust that he is going to get his thing done, right? That is the takeaway what Daniel walked away, I don't know how much understanding he would have had from this, but he walked away knowing that the exile is going to be finished. God's people are going to return. It's not going to be a cozy, comfy ride. It's going to be continued trouble. More trouble awaits Jerusalem is what it says. There's going to be someone who's going to raise up and oppose God and Jerusalem, but in the end, God is going to win. He's going to be on his throne and he's going to establish his eternal kingdom where iniquity will be no more. This is what Daniel walked away with and he trusted the word of the Lord. And so church, I think again, 
We can debate, we can study. I'm not saying it's not worth studying or trying to figure it out, but I can't stand up here and tell you this is exactly what it is. You've heard from your pastor. Isn't he super smart? Now you can go and you understand everything. Like, it's just, I don't think I can do that. But I can tell you that God is revealing exactly what he would have us know here in this. He's reassuring Daniel that he is at work. And so can I just tell you this? Sometimes the answer that the Lord gives you, right, is not the answer you're looking for and might not even be an answer that you fully understand. As you spend your time laboring, enduring in prayer, seeking the Lord, he might come and say, hey, this is what it is. You're like, but I don't like that. Or I wanted a different answer. Or I wanted to know more, right? Sometimes you're like, God, just tell me why. Why did you do that? And he's like, I'm not gonna tell you why. When are you going to do it, God? When are you going to... Re- I'm not going to tell you when. How are you going to do it, God? How are you going to get this done? I'm not going to tell you how. Sometimes he comes and he gives us this veiled answer, and it's exactly the answer that he wants. And so what we see is that Daniel trusted the word of the Lord, and he continued to go about and serve the Lord and do that, and he was, it was exactly what God needed or gave him, and it was exactly what Daniel needed in that. And so let's do this. Why don't we respond with prayer, trusting and believing on the answer that the Lord has given us. I'm gonna invite our team up. As they come, I just wanna invite us um, to take a minute and to pray as we conclude our service together. Um, it would be crazy for us to run out of here. We were just spent um, the, you know, a good chunk of time talking all about prayer. And then if we were to walk out these doors and not having actually prayed, you know, God in his goodness, we didn't plan this, but we have this Tuesday night prayer night. You know, that's a great chance to come back I hope that you go and you pray, but why don't we pray together before we even leave this place? And so the team's gonna play, and as they play, um, I just wanna encourage you. Can we do this? Let's just all stand to our feet. I just wanna encourage you to where you're at, just to pray. You can pray with someone that you're with. You can gather together with a group. Some of you, though, you might need prayer from someone today. So I've invited some of our uh, elders, leaders, different people in the church to come up and be available for prayer. As we're singing, they're just gonna be off to the sides here and you are welcome to come forward and ask for prayer. They will pray over you. They'll pray for you. Take advantage of this church. If you wanna just pray there, if you wanna sit back down, if you wanna get on your knees, if you wanna just you know, have a posture of humility, of confession, asking for God's forgiveness, trusting in his goodness, right? we wanna to respond to God. So let's do this. Let's make this the house of prayer that he's called it to be, why don't we end our service praying? Trusting and believing that God hears and works through our prayers. Let's go to the Lord now and pray right where you're at.